This is Jennifer Pepito with the Restoration Home Podcast. This is the show where we talk about the peaceful path to connected families and restored communities. Today on the show, I'm so thrilled to be chatting with one of my heroes, Sarah McKenzie. She's from the Read Aloud Revival. She wrote the wonderful book, The Read Aloud Family. And I'm so excited to chat with her about creating a family identity and a family role. Thanks for joining me today, Sarah. Jennifer, it is always a good day when I get to see you and talk with you. So I'm so happy to be here. Thank you for having me. Oh, it's such a delight. It was, we had one of the most fun Wild and Free conferences I ever got to be a part of. You were at, we were on that little, at that Airbnb on a river. I don't know if you remember that in Texas. Yes, oh, I do remember that. Magical weekend all together and being with you made it extra magical. Um, but I'm excited to talk to you about having a family identity, a family rule. I think so many people are really scared about the chaos on the outside, about the way politics are so weird and society kind of seems a little chaotic <laughs> and people are nervous. They're scared, yeah. but I think we can make a difference. And part of this podcast is just talking about the rule of St. Benedict and how he lived during the dark ages and still created a place of peace and restoration and a refuge in the mm. midst of that. So what are the, some of the practices that your family has done to create a peaceful refuge in the middle of chaotic times? I love this focus too, because that whenever I feel panicked or worried about what I see happening in the world or on the news or anywhere, I mean, just like it does feel very chaotic right now. Um, I, I remember that we have like that sphere of influence in our home. Like that's, that's where we actually have the most, uh, sway, but those are also the people that we most want to impact. So it's like, um, sometimes we feel really powerless, but we have this little mini kingdom, <laughs> this little, little domestic church, like at our home. Um, that's really, really helpful. One of the things that I didn't really have words to put to until recently when one of my kids said it, I heard her overheard her. She's 11 talking to another friend of hers. And she said, you know how some families are really like everyone plays a musical instrument and other families are really into sports. Well, our family is bookish. <laughs> I loved that because I thought, oh yeah, I mean, that is kind of what we've done, but it's like, it doesn't feel like you're doing something. Like there's a lot of things we say no to in our own home. Um, we have six kids. Three of them are all now off at college. The other three are still homeschooling. Um, they're 11, 10, and 10. Um, and I guess we say a lot of no's to things outside of home in order to make space and time for reading and connecting at home. And a lot of times that can feel like we're opting out, but in another way, it's like we're opting in. We're opting into like those connections at home. Yeah, I love that so much. One of my favorite little books for moms is The Domestic Monastery by Ronald Rollheiser. Yes. Because yes, I feel yes. like it just gives us such a vision that we we do have a lot of authority in the world to make an impact. Like yeah. we aren't just helpless victims of culture. We can be like the, you know, the the great people of faith of old who curated something different in the middle of chaos. And and it, whether you're talking about St. Benedict or Corey Ten Boom or Sabina Wernbrown, there's so many people who in the middle of really hard times still cultivated faith and hope and peace. And I love that you guys are doing that and partly through books. But I think sometimes people feel like, oh, 
my kids are now teenagers, so we don't have any more impact on them. We have no more authority over their, the media that is curated for them. We have no more impact. How do you continue presenting a hopeful worldview even, even as your children enter the teen years? Yeah, I've been having a lot of these conversations with friends lately as their kids get older too. And like I said, our oldest are 22, 20, and 18. And I do think we have this kind of tendency to feel a little panicky when our kids become young adults. And um, at our homeschool call, I heard one of the moms say recently, uh, well, it's because you don't have any more control. And I thought, I don't know if that's true. I actually think you never had any control. We just kind of fake ourselves into thinking we have control. But that was actually never the job that was put in front of us. It's like to control everything and to make sure our kids came out a certain way, like they were a recipe, you know? So instead, we're con- we continue with what we did before, which is continually to speak truth into their lives, continuing to read the, the Bible together, continuing to tell them stories of truth and hope and love, continuing feeding into that. And then even as they venture out into the world, um, it's like that they're going to make mistakes. They're going to get distracted. They're going to like believe something untrue and they're going to swerve from their faith or from what we want for, for them. I love that, um, the, to remember St. Monica, who was the mother of St. Augustine and St. Augustine, of course, like lived this really like crazy sinful life, wandered so far from his faith. And his mother was so faithful in praying for him and continuing to speak truth to him. And then he became, you know, one of the the great fathers of the church and one of the Christians that really gave us like all modern day Christians, like a foundation for our own faith. And I feel like, um, when I worry about my kids, like, oh, they're getting off track or they're, you know, I'm just worried about them holding on to what I've given them. It's not, we don't get to like plant the seed and then dig up the seed to see if it's growing right or if it's going exactly how we want it to. We just have to plant it and that's what faith is for. So I think there's a lot of like, that's when, maybe when our kids get older and they're becoming young adults and they're venturing out into the world, it's not so much about we're panicking because we're losing control, but we're panicking because we don't get to see how it ends. But that's not really a problem. It's exactly how it was God created everything to be. It's exactly how it was designed to be. So it's like, this is when faith gets really like, this is when you really hold on to your faith. Like, okay, I'm going to keep doing the thing that I know I'm supposed to do. Um, Something else you just said, Jen, uh, reminded me of a Chesterton quote, which I had to pull up because I didn't botch it. But um, there is a quote by G.K. Chesterton, and he wrote this, I would guess, like in the 50s or something. I don't really know when he wrote this, but he wrote, um, there's a tendency to forget that the school is only a preparation for the home and not the home, a mere jumping off place for the school. And I remember when I read that first, I was like, wait, wait, read that again. You know, like say that again. Like I got to look at that again. But basically what he's saying there is like, the school is secondary to home. The world is secondary to home. Even when we think about like when our kids grow up and they get jobs and they're out in the world, we get jobs to support our lives at home. Like the home really is the center of the universe. So as a parent, as a mother in your home, when you're like, I only have this little bit of um, influence and the world is so loud and it's influencing my children, but you still have like the center of the universe right there in your home. And that feels really empowering to me. Like, oh yeah, that means when I light a candle and I read this story with my kids or we pray before a meal, that is something that's happening in the center of the universe for my children. 
Oh, I love that so much. And, you know, you talking about parenting teens and young adults, it's like, you kind of have to have nerves of steel. Because like you said, you don't, you don't necessarily know how it's going to turn out. And will all of the beautiful books that you read and all the poetry and all the scripture you memorize, will that really make an impact and, and change the trajectory of their lives? I believe it will. But we do have to hang on when there when there might be a child who's kind of finding their own way in that. And I love these stories of mm-hmm. hope that we can read, like, like you mentioned, St. August, Augustine, and um, the worm brands are another couple who were really instrumental in helping people during communist in communist Romania. Mm -hmm. So I think just recognizing that the story's not over, even if things look a little shaky, but what are some of the things that you've done, you know, to stay connected and kind of continue to, um, like for instance, in my family, even with my children who are young adults and out of the house, we have a family chat and I'm constantly sending a James Clear quote or a beautiful poem in there or anything that I think will help continue to keep their minds fixed on what is true and beautiful because we are competing with some really entertaining media. We're competing yes. with with the most ridiculous, even disgusting reels that are so easy to watch. We're competing with so much media to try and continue to keep their eyes fixed on the Lord. And so it can be intense. And, and I think one of the mistakes families make is giving up control of that too early, like too early, letting your children be more entertained than, than cultivated in a sense. But then I don't think the story's over. You, you don't have control, but you can still woo them with hope and truth and love. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I think, and I love that you even, you paired like a beautiful poem with James Clear quote, because like with my 18 year old son, there is nothing like a good James Clear quote to like get his attention, you know? (laughs) So I feel like part of it is just knowing your kids and knowing like, oh, I know this particular child will, like, I know what they love and are interested in and will speak to them. And so, so much of it is about seeing them and seeing the person in front of you, you know, like your child for who they are. It's so tempting for me as a mother to feel like my children are clay and I'm like shaping them, but that's not really what's happening. It's like, they are the clay, but I'm not the potter. (laughs) God is the potter, but I can kind of invite them into this experience. And I feel like that's more like that invitation, that word wooing actually feels really delightful because it makes me feel like, Ooh, how can I make this, um, appealing? But also I think you're right. I mean, I, I feel like, um, as my kids have gotten older, I don't know if you've had this experience, Jennifer, I'm sure you have with as many kids as you have too, is like my older kids will look at like my younger kids will say something. My older kids will be like, I would never have been allowed to talk to you that way. Like I cannot believe. And so I'm like, I know, listen, I know. And I know that like, we tend to think like, oh, as, as our kids get older, like we're just more tired. I don't really think that's it though. I think we kind of have learned like which battles are worth like which hills are worth dying on, you know, like you got to pick and choose your battles. That's not a hill I'm going to die on. But this one over here where I let you have a phone when you were 15, um, your, your siblings are going to be older than that when they get their phone. You know what I mean? Like that hill is worth dying on. I've figured out. So I feel like there's some of that too, that's at play where we have this opportunity, especially when our kids are younger in our home to guard their inputs and they really need more guarding than they've ever needed before. And that's not something that like our mothers really can help us navigate because they didn't have the same, they didn't have that experience, they didn't have kids that had like constant entertainment, you know, 
x-rated entertainment in their pocket all the time available to them so we have to like now that's where i feel like it gets really tricky because we have to like navigate this like not just we can't be we can't try and out entertain the entertainment because that's not going to work so we have to come in with a different mode and i don't exactly know what that is i just feel like um that persistence to like, okay, what kind of family culture do we want to build? Like, I want to build a family culture where we are always reading. We're talking about books. We share meals together every day. That's probably like, when I think about our family rule, like we have dinner together every single day. And that is pretty much non-negotiable. Sometimes during a basketball season, there'll be like a night or two a week where we, you know, it has to be like a grab and go pizza night, but that's the, that's the exception, not the rule, right? Like the rule is we all sit down at this table and we eat and nobody has a screen anywhere in sight. You may not bring your phone to the table, you know, that kind of thing. And those things I feel like are worth like considering what hills are you worth, are worth dying on sort of. That's one that's like, I'm willing to die on that hill. You cannot bring your phone to the table. We're going to have dinner together. And um, it doesn't always feel like the other thing I think of when I say that is like, it doesn't always feel like you're having this rich, meaningful experience. Sometimes you're just like having dinner and you're like, it doesn't feel like it's this big gift you're giving your kids. It just feels like spaghetti and everyone's irritated because everyone's tired and it's the end of the day. But it's, you can't see, it's again, it kind of goes back to that. Like you can't plant a seed and dig it up to see how it's working. (laughs) It's just one of those things you do on faith. Oh, I love all of that so much, Sarah. You talked about l- lessons learned because that is the truth. You know, I did give some of my older children, like my oldest, there wasn't even phones available, but yeah. then some of those middle ones, they got them probably too early when they didn't have the capacity to handle them. So my youngest, he's got a gab phone, he's turning 15 and, and I won't switch that yeah. for like as long as possible. Yeah, yeah. But um, So you do live and learn, but also I love that you just keep doing those small things. And that's really what this is about is you you don't give up because I feel like sometimes our tendency as mothers is to feel like oh, it's just hopeless. They're all all they want to do is watch reels all day, so I'll just let them sit in their rooms and watch reels all day. Or all they want to do is watch cartoons all day, so I'm just going to let them do that. And we don't even try anymore. And I feel like it's just so important that we just keep trying to do those little things, whether it's sitting down to dinner or having a tradition of going for a walk on the weekend instead of being on your phone all weekend. Just mm-hmm. I I posted recently on my Instagram. Um, just that don't stop fighting with your kids. Like don't stop fighting with them in a good way because they're worth it. It's worth caring enough about them to shepherd them, to nurture their souls. Like a good father, a good shepherd, a good mother does instead of just giving up. You know, one of the things that I, I do feel can even impact like homeschool kids and families where they really do curate the media is some of the books. I I remember an episode you had, and I cannot remember, it was with an author who's well-known, maybe Catherine Patterson. It was about hopeful books. Yeah. And uh, we'll link that in the show notes. But I think it's really important, especially for homeschool moms, to recognize what also is coming in via some of the books, like whether it's an online class, whether it's, you know, some, somebody who I won't mention, who I love, tried to lend my daughter the book, the court of thrones and roses. I think it's something like that. I don't know that one. It's a young adult book, but it's like basically Mm -hmm. teen porn. Yeah. And, and I think that's a lot of why young adult books are actually. (laughs) Yeah. Sadly. I mean, really, really sadly. So just because, and, and I don't want to freak parents out, but I also think we we have to be 
um, we're pastors in a sense. Do you know what I mean? We are the, this is our little monastery. We are in charge of the souls of these people. And so on the one hand, yes, we don't have control. Yes. We have to commit them to the Lord and trust in the Lord with all of our hearts, but also there is a a sacred responsibility we have to work at curating the media for as long as you can and explain it. Like with um, you know, I, I looked up for, with my daughter with, in that case, cause she's 16 years old. So together, um, I showed her the, the, like, I looked up common sense media or something like yeah. that, the yeah. reviews on it. I showed it to her. I just talked about, Hey, we're, we're a different family. Like I'm not judging another family for what they read, but we are, you know, in, we're in pursuit of Jesus. Yeah. And so I'm not, we're not going to open the door to things that could be a stumbling block later. It could be partly, especially when you think about some of the really horrific things that you hear about in the news, the sex trafficking and, and children Mm -hmm. being harmed, then there's no place in a Christian home to sort of dabble in some of this darkness. Okay. So I was just rereading the hiding place by Corey Tim boom, not too long ago. And there's this beautiful passage in there where she's talking about, which if any listeners, if you're not familiar with this, Corey Tim boom was the daughter of a, um, Danish or Polish? Now I'm going to say that wrong. Just like I said, Chesterton wrote in 1950. He was dead by then, by the way. I realized right after I said that. Um, (laughs) uh, Dutch. Okay. Dutch watchmaker. Is that what you said? Yes. Okay. Um, And there's this part in the book. uh, So they lived through the whole Holocaust in Nazi Germany and they um, they were hiding Jews in their home, um, in their workshop. But they were at one point, and they ended up going to a concentration camp, but in her book at one point, um, Corey writes about how she asked her dad about something and I can't remember what it was, but it was some grown up question she was asking. And he, um, he, instead of answering the question, he said, pick up that suitcase over there. And she tried to go over and pick it up and it was too heavy. She's like, I can't, it's too heavy. And he said, yes. And I would be a poor father if I asked you to pick that suitcase up and carry it when it's too heavy for you. That's the same thing with knowledge. And it would be, I would be a poor father if I expected you to carry knowledge or, and we can think of this in our day and age, like an awareness of the world or too much or social access to social media before they're ready. We would be poor parents if we asked our children to carry something too heavy until they're ready, until they're, they they have the strength to bear it until they're ready to bear it on their own. As a parent, I feel like one of my primary roles is as curator of what is put into their mind. Because just like I wouldn't give my kids junk food all day, I don't want them to be putting junk into their mind and their heart and their soul in these formative years. So um, yeah, I love that. It's common sense media. You said you looked at to see like the reviews and I will go there almost always. And also another website that I really love for this is Redeemed Reader. I think it's .com. I can't remember if it's .com or .org, Um, but maybe you can put it in the show notes. But that is a group of a handful of Christian moms who are reading a lot of the books that are coming out right now because we have a lot of information about like classics, like what's in there or like the older books. Like, okay, my kids are not going to read like Flowers in the Attic or something. We know about those books, right? But like the new books are the ones that are, are tricky. And those are the ones that a lot of our kids want to read. So at Redeemed Reader, they're reading a lot of the books that are coming out right now. And then they just give you the information, not like a yes, read this or don't read that, but like a, hey, this is what's in this book, like a heads up. And I love that because it feels it feels like in a time when we can't really keep up with all of our kids' media inputs as much as we can keep up with is really helpful if someone can go, okay, this issue is in this book. And is that, you know, is that a suitcase your kids are ready to carry or is it too heavy for them right now? 
Yeah, I love that so much, especially because it's not that our kids can't handle harder stories. It's just, does it have a redemptive ending? You know, there was a book, I think yes. it was called Echo Mountain. It was a newer... Oh, I haven't read that one, but I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, and it was really sweet. It had some hard things in it, but um, overall a redemptive worldview. And I think that that's what we're more looking for is, does you know, does the media our children are consuming have a hopeful worldview? Is it truth and beauty? It doesn't all have to be old. It just, I think that as parents, I love yes. that you mentioned yes. that we are curating the brain space of our children and we get to do that as long as possible because we are spiritual beings. And so if we feel, if we let them fill their minds with a bunch of garbage, it'll be garbage in, garbage out. Yeah. And I love my kids too much to do that. <laughs> Well, and it's about telling our kids the truth. We're a people of hope. And so like the truth is that we know who wins in the end. And this is the, or this is the truth. So it feels like, I know Kate DiCamillo has said that as a children's author, she feels duty bound to leaving children with hope. And I feel like as Christian parents, that's exactly what we're doing. And exactly like you said, I think sometimes, especially in homeschooling families, we'll find that we lean toward older books because we feel like, well, we've, we've vetted those. We know those ones, but actually we really need books that are coming out today. And, and we need to find books for our kids that are coming out today that are also telling the truth that like books like the green ember books, like, um, I haven't read echo mountain. So I'm gonna have to put that on my list. Um, that, that do leave our kids with a sense of hope because that tells them the truth. And also it's like giving them this, um, example of people who are telling the truth today. Like as a kid, I wanted to be a writer. And I think if I had thought that only the good writers were alive, like in the, like the classics in the old days, that would have been really dispiriting to me. But we also need like C.S. Lewis's and, and Tolkien's today writing stories for our grandchildren, right? So like, I love that we can like figure out what is it, what, what is it about stories that make them the kind of stories we want to give our kids to nurture their souls. And I think hope, I think you're right. I think that's yeah. it. That's the real key. I love that so much. And one last thought, I podcast with Stephen Lawson last winter and he talked about, he's the founder of the Monk Manual. He talked about how he really doesn't pay a lot of attention to much of the news of the world because as humans, we're not necessarily created to be able to handle that. And so I think, you know, we're yeah. talking a lot here about curating our children's media, but I think it's also important as mothers to curate yes. our own media. Like we, we can't offer hope to our children if we're so inundated by bad news that we have no hope ourselves. Don't so you I think, think too, Jen, like were we created to have a, a, this much access and information to everything all over the world? Like, no, it's, it's horrifying what kind of like the kinds of stuff that we're subjected to if we give us, if we, if we allow ourselves to read it, the horrific news about things that we have no control over can really, it can cause compassion fatigue and a lot of hopelessness that makes it harder even to look at our children in the eyes and smile at them and do these things that help create a connected family. Yeah, absolutely. This I, that reminds me, I like, um, one of the things that last year I remember just feeling, and it, it's been like this, I think for the last several years where I feel a really strong need to to guard my inputs. So I listen to a lot fewer podcasts than I used to. I watch a, well, we didn't ever watch a ton of stuff, but like, I'm really, really careful about what kind of things am I letting in news or social media or just anything that's coming in? Because I realized that like, if I feel drained, I can't give my best to the kid, to my kids, you know? And kind of like you said before, it's not like we're just get you. So often I feel like we just give up because we're like, well, we can't compete with the world. So I, I might as well not even try to guard with there. But I, um, there's a couple of things that come to mind and 
like one of them is when Jesus was feeding the 5,000 on the hillside and the disciples were like, we have nothing to feed these people. We need to send them away. Like basically like we need to give up. We can't, we can't compete with their hunger, you know? And, um, Jesus could have fed them instantly all right away, but he didn't. He said, bring me what you have. What do you have? And they brought him like some loaves and fish. And I think that's what we do. Like, yeah, we can't really compete with TikTok reels or whatever the social media fad is going to be next week, right? But we can bring what we have and he makes it enough. But the important piece is that we bring what we have. That is the part that like he's asking us to do, which means we don't give up. We just keep trying, you know, we keep. So when I think about guarding our inputs and like curating, I remember last winter discovering after several recommendations, the All Creatures Great and Small PBS um, series on, which we've read some James Harriet books, but the shows are even better, I think, but I never say that. I never say the show is better, but I might in this case. <laughs> and they were so delightful. And there is a little bit of language in there because they're like British. There's a little bit of, you know, like, you know, but the over, like the sense of hope and sacrificial love that's in those shows felt like this is the kind of media that's going to like nurture my kids and tell them the truth about who they are and whose they are and what we're here for. Uh, Even though it's not okay. like a preachy story, it's not like a Christian series. You know what right, I mean? Right. And there, and that's the thing. There are there are stories out there that offer that. There are movies and shows that offer that. I think as parents, we just can't. We have to continue curating the media in our homes because it's our responsibility. It's a sacred responsibility and calling. Yeah. Uh, you are coming out with so many beautiful picture books right now. I. I just did a giveaway with While Everyone is Sleeping, oh, your yay. newest one. It's such a lovely story and so comforting and warm and cozy. Uh, what are some of the new projects we can look forward to seeing from Sarah McKenzie and Waxwing? Yes, Waxwing is coming out with three. So Waxwing is our new um, children's publishing house at Read a Lot of Revival. And we have two books that are out on shelves, A Little More Beautiful and While Everyone is Sleeping. In 2024, we have three more coming um, one is a picture book biography about Barbara Cooney, who made Miss Rumpheus and the Oxcart Man. That one's coming out in um, March, and it's illustrated by Eileen Ryan Ewan. It's, it's such a beautiful book, and it tells the story of this little girl who knew she wanted to like pin the beauty of the world onto the page, but couldn't do it. And so and then we, we learn how she learns how to do it. And then in May, we actually, or May or June, I think early summer, we have a middle grade fantasy coming out, um, written by a girl who was homeschooled herself. She's a very, she's a young adult. It's a beautiful story. Uh, it's just fun. It's like a romp with like fairies and, um, a philosopher type and like some troublemaking hobgoblins. I mean, it's really fun romp of a story, but it also tells the truth about hope and sacrificial love and family. It's such a beautiful story. And then we have another picture book coming out in the fall called Dear Duck, which is just a really fun, playful um, story about a rabbit and a bunny who are very good friends. And when one of them loses their tooth, the other one tries to fix it. <laughs> oh, I love it. I'm really excited about it. I'm sure that some of them will end up in the Peaceful Press resources. We love great children's picture books and they're not always easy to find. So thank you so much for all that you do to support homeschool families and support reading families. We're so grateful to have this chance to chat with you, Sarah. And I can't wait for everyone to listen and learn from your wisdom. Thank you for joining today. Absolutely. Thank you so much, Jen. It's always good to see you. 